welcome to Shan Hunger. I'm your host Ben. On today's episode, I've been interviewed Simon Dow of legendary death metal band from Australia, Abra Melon. Their new album, Twenty Years Never Enough Snuff. It's really, really great chatting with Simon. It's, you know, it's incredible sort of hearing them do something that I think very few bands get the opportunity to do. Find, you know, finding themselves not really happy with the. Not necessarily the material they put out, but the way it was recorded, the, the the instrumentation, the production. They had the opportunity to get it right this time, and that, that's really exciting for a band to be able to do. For to have reservations about the way they did it, to kind of understand where they kind of went wrong, and to be able to do it right one more time, and that's that's great. Like twenty years later, that's kind of an incredible thing, and it's it's a really great sort of experience sharing that with them that they've been able to put out this really tremendous record and you know understand the meaning behind that i was also very grateful to simon for helping out with another project that i've been working on um chatting to him about super secret subject matter which i've been doing research into for about two weeks and i now finally after chatting to him i now finally kind of think i have a full understanding of what I've been researching. And now I'm going to start putting it together. And that's something you can look forward to, something I'm very, very excited about. I, I, it's kind of niche, kind of very niche, but I'm honestly, I my mind has been blown by this whole thing. And I'm hoping that you know, a couple of people will get very excited about it in the same way I do. But that's soon to come. And I'm very, very excited about it. Talk to Simon about their new album, Never Enough Snuff, and the tracks that I played from it in this interview are Never Enough Snuff and Knife Play. This is Simon Dow of Abramellon. For those who aren't familiar, yeah. could you run us a little bit through the, the band's history? Uh, sure, okay. So we've been kicking around since uh, 1988, we were formed. Um, predominantly hailing from a, a small suburb in the uh, northeastern uh, areas of Melbourne called Montmorency, which is nestled in between a little place called Eltham and another little place called Greensboro. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it kicked off uh, back then in 88 as Arkham originally, and then it was probably in around about 89, 90 or something. My memory's a bit hazy that we changed our name to Abramelin or Abramelin. Um, there was a uh, there was a black metal band in the states that uh, started off around the same time that had the uh, had the name Archon as well too. So rather than getting to a big shit fight about that, I was just like, you know what, let's just change the name to save confusion for the uh, for the metal community. I mean, we're like, you know, two big fish in an extremely small pond trying to punch on, and it was just like, look, what's the fucking point? So <laughs> I was more than happy to concede and change up the name. It wasn't a big deal, and. Um, yeah, uh, so yeah, been playing live since back then, released a few albums over the years, um, played with Cannibal Corpse, a um, couple of tours with Morbid Angel, a couple of tours with Cradle of Phil, Carcass, they palmed their bloody everyone <laughs> has come through. Uh, heaps of bands over the years. Um, then we had a bit of a break from... Uh, 2003, we had a lazy 14 years off and um, then got back together again in uh, sort of mid to late 2016 to do a benefit show in 2017, started touring again then. 
and not too long after that started writing new material and then all of a sudden had enough new material for a new album which came out on May 15 this year called Never Enough Snuff. You were you're obviously working this material, you had uh, put together a song and you released it. Um, I think it was Gorehor, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Um, what, what were your feelings? Yeah, at, yeah, what were your feelings sort of leading up to that releasing that song? I think it was like the f- first material in about twenty years. How were you feeling about that? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Look, it was it was strange. I mean, look, even getting back into the live circuit was pretty strange. You know, doing those first couple of shows and um, you know being back up on stage and and, and building it out once again. Um, yeah, being a lot of a lot of water under the bridge, um, in, you know, in, the, in that time. Um, so that was unusual. But the, yeah, then I suppose releasing new material back out to the public again. I mean, that was that was that was something else because um, yeah, we hadn't hadn't produced anything since um, Dead Speak in uh, in two thousand. So yeah, it was pretty much on twenty years since we'd um, had even recorded material out. So it was. I suppose it was like, you know, a nervous anticipation of like seeing how the fans were going to respond to it. But it was, um, yeah, well, I mean, we've, we've had nothing but a, uh, an extremely positive uh, response from the, uh, from our fans and, and, and new fans as well too, which has um, been, uh, been absolutely fantastic. What was the impulse to release music? Like you've, you've played some shows. Like what, what was the drive to say, like, we need to put something out there. We want to, we want to be creative again as this kind of, this particular band. Hmm. Look, I think, I think for myself and the lead guitarist, Tim, who's the main songwriter, it was very much about unfinished business. Um, for he, he wrote a lot of the songs for this album about you know eight to ten years ago, so they've been sitting around for quite a while. Um, lyric wise, I didn't really start writing until we got back together and started um, you know doing the new songs. So they've only existed for a couple of years. But I mean, I was never really overly happy with the earlier recordings. Um, you know, the, the EP was quite good back in the, in the day, the uh, Transgression from Archon EP, but the first album, I never really liked the production. I thought it was like just meh. Um, and then Dead Speak, when we did that, um, we didn't have a drummer, so it was like Tim and I just pulled that song together and, and, and did it with, um, you know, programmed the drums in. So although I liked the songs on the album I w- and I thought the production was okay, I, I wasn't happy with the sound with the drums and it always felt a little bit synthetic to me. Um, fast forward to now where we've got an absolutely kick-ass lineup of, uh, of musicians. This was an opportunity to not only say, hey, we're back from the dead um, and, you know, here's a, uh, a bunch of uh, old bastards who are having a bit of a crack at it again, but we're actually back and we're better and we're stronger and, you know, and, and here's what we can do as a full band. I mean, I've, I always thought that we, you know, we really brought it to the table as a live band Um you know, energetically and sound-wise and everything else too. So I was trying to emulate that in a recording and, um, yeah, with a, with, with, a group of, uh, with a group of kick-ass musicians who could, who could really do it, you know, justice. You, me- you mentioned that Tim had the songs uh, gestating eight years ago. Was he sort of planning yeah. for an eventual Abramelon reunion? What, what was he writing those songs for? Yeah, look, that was, I mean, you know, I mean, Tim just smashes out songs anyway, but look, that was always at the back of his mind. And and Tim and I did catch up um, at some point in when we really, we did like a a discography, which came out through Century Media, um, probably about 
fuck, I don't remember when that was, maybe 2014 or something like that. It was um, we our um our self-titled albums were selling on eBay for like you know 150 bucks US things like that. It was you know fucking crazy shit. And the same with like you know the, the seven inch was selling for a lot of money, hundreds as well, and you know so on and so forth. So Century Media had said, look, you know, do you want to compile everything up and we'll we'll, we'll release it on uh, limited edition vinyl and CD and, and put it out to the world? So we're like, yeah, for sure, why not? So Tim and I got together at that point, and um, he he broached it with me at that time and said, look, you know, do you want to do you want to get the uh, get the band back together and start doing some stuff? And I'll, my head wasn't really in the game at that point. I wasn't wasn't overly interested. So. I think I'd even said to Tim at one point, look, I'm, I'm not into it, dude. If you want to do it, you know, go ahead and do it and go and find some other guys and, you know, you can relaunch it. But, um, I'm, yeah, I'm not really into it anymore. And then fast forward to, to 2016 when our now bass player and was also a guitarist at one point, Rob, uh, contacted me and said, hey, do you want to do this show? Then, yeah, all of a sudden I was interested again. It was the right time and... and and we got it uh, got it going again, but yeah, I, I think it had always been in that you know Tim was always hatching the plan that it would always come together in, in some way, shape, or form. One one of the things I think that's you know great about Never Enough Snuff is the fact that it sort of it's very Abermelon, but it, you know it sort of I think it really achieves, and you you said this as well that sort of really achieves kind of what you set out to kind of demonstrate, you know the sort of really really solid recording. Um, what do yeah. you, what do you think sort of Similar, I mean, obviously a lot of stuff. But what do you think changed about the sort of never enough stuff as compared to your first two records? I mean, okay, so look, look, lyrically, it's similar. Um, you know, I've always always written about gore and death and so on and so forth and making my lyrics as nasty as possible I think there's a fine line, line though between just doing gore for gore's sake and and then it can like get a little bit cheesy whereas like I actually do you know I'm not saying I'm the fucking greatest writer in the world or anything but I do put a lot of thought and a lot of effort into my lyrics and I look at each song as a, uh, a horror novella or like a short film or something like that too like there's like an old plot line to it and, and, and shit goes down whether it's like about a you know uh, whatever it's about it's never good <laughs> and it's laced with a lot of gore and blood um, but the, the album overall too I mean as I said earlier on too production wise this is like by far the most you know the best production that the band's ever had it's absolutely outstanding and especially that, that was you know uh, the way that we recorded it and then the fact that it was mixed and mastered from Dan Swano in Sweden um, or from Judy Sound I think they're German based these days but anyway um, he's uh, who's just you know produced <laughs> engineered so many you know bands over the years <clears throat> Especially with death metal, I mean, if you like, you know, go go to Wikipedia and look up Dan Swano and have a look at the bands he's worked with. It's like, you know, the creme de la creme of death metal. So, as far as I'm concerned, he's the godfather of like, you know, production. So, us, you know, being uh, the oldie death metal band that we are, that was the best place to go to pull the sound that we wanted. So, and then the other the other part of the of it, of course, is the um the musicianship. Um, although we're still, it's still, you know, a lot of the same guys and we're doing the same thing and that everyone I think has um, matured uh, massively um, over that period of time. Um, so that I think the, uh, the playing is, um, 
is far superior to anything else that we've done on, on earlier albums. I mean, just listen to the solos, listen to the, you know, the guitars, the way that they're, uh, you know, they're smashing it out is absolutely incredible. And then, of course, you know, the addition of having um, Dave Haley on drums from Dave from Psychoptic and all the other bands that he plays with is... Um, you know, definitely had a massive influence on the band too in, in like, you know, just how tight and precise things are. I mean, he's as good as that drum machine that we had on Dead Speak as far as precision goes, but then, you know, just livens it up so much more because of the fact that it is organic. I want to dive a little bit into your vocals. Let's start with the lyrics. Like, when you're sort of trying to conceive of lyrics, like, are you, like, looking to external sources? Are you sort of thinking in your head? How, how do you go about sort of approaching the sort of creating a basic like idea for what the lyrics should be? Um, it usually spawns with an idea. I mean, I, 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 I read a lot of horror. I read horror pretty much exclusively. Um, I find anything else boring. <laughs> I've always, I've always <clears throat> pretty much read horror since like, I don't know, probably high school, I suppose, and even bits of horror before that. So that's always been there, which is a great, um, you know, uh, pull to dip into for ideas. I'll read something in a book and I might, like, read a line or something that, like, launches an idea. Um, or I might have, like, a base idea from, like, watching... I mean, I pretty much watch a lot of horror films as well, too, of course. That goes part and parcel of my artwork. Horror, lyrics, horror, singing in a band, horror... <laughs> like painting a picture here. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff around me all the time that's easy to to dip into for um, the content. But, you know, I, I, which I've said in some other interviews recently, like I, li- I like to keep it fair. I like to keep it... Because uh, I don't want anyone to look at the artwork and go, oh, you're a bunch of misogynistic assholes and it's like, you know, you're a woman hater. It's just like, I'm not a woman hater. I fucking love women. I think women are absolutely amazing. The fact that I've got, you know, depicting a woman getting, you know, murdered on the uh, on the cover, that doesn't mean anything against women because delving into the lyrics inside, and I have a crack at everyone. I've got women killing men. I've got children killing adults. I've got men killing women. I've got men killing men. I've got, like, everyone basically has a crack at everyone. And then once I'm done with that, then I've got, like, you know, demonic forces killing people. I've got, you know, and round and round it goes. So, um, yeah, I... I Look, it's, to answer your question, there's, you know, there, there's always a host of really good ideas, you know. I'll quite often, like, come across phrases or ideas in books and things like that too, and I'll just, like, you know, take little notes along the way and then I'll refer back to notes and, and have a look at them again and, you know, someone had said something about the way that, you know, someone's head was impacted and the way that it, like, was smashed in or something. I'm like, that's quite nice. I'm going to, like, you know, rephrase that and put that into a song and make that into, a, like, a little structure that into a bit of a paragraph and do something about that. So, yeah. Does that sort of answer your question? I know it's a bit of a wishy-washy answer. But. Mm, no, 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 it definitely does. You mentioned not making a st- uh, like a sort of gory for gory steak. Yeah. How do, you, how do you sort of walk that line? How do you craft like a good story that sort of, you know, sort of me- meets your kind of own sort of criteria? Um, well, I suppose that is subjective. I mean, because other people could look at it and go, that's just fucking gore for gore. So, I mean, I, <laughs> the funny part, I mean, look, I laugh when I write a lot of my lyrics. I think that to me personally, they're, they're uh, quite tongue in cheek in a lot of areas. Um, also, well, like one of my oldest memories of like reading books and growing up as a kid is Dr. Zeus. So if you read like 
Dr. Zeus books and have a look at the way that the um, the, the way that they rhyme and the way they're crafted, and then look at a Bremen a, a lyric. <laughs> it's actually not that dissimilar, and most of my stuff does rhyme. And I've I've always pretty much written my lyrics like that. There's not many songs that I do that like you know each sort of second line doesn't rhyme with the one previous. And then that in itself becomes a fun game for me when I'm putting together lyrics. Um, you know, so to be. I don't know, just pulling something in off the top of my head. Um, uh, something, you know, something to do with your head or then something around until you were dead. Or, and, uh, you know, just whatever. Of course, it gets a lot more expletive and, you know, <laughs> well thought out than that. But it's, it's, you know, having that little game going on in the background can be quite fun too. And also way back in the day, you know, I would sit down with like a thesaurus and I would like go through and I'd look up something really nasty in the uh, in the thesaurus and I'd have a look at all the words that go with that and then go, okay. And then I've got, the, I've got this big shopping list to play with of like things. I mean, much easier now with the internet that you can just go and like, you know, pull things apart, but you can go to word rhyme and other such um, websites just to like, you know, punch in that, you know, words and phrases and things like that and get things that sort of like rhyme with them. But, but yeah, back, back then it was the old Roger's thesaurus would come out and would sit on the table next to me while I, while I crafted songs in my, in my room. Mm-hmm. Uh, in sort of the terms of the vocals more broadly, like, so one, which comes first, the lyrics or the vocals? And then like, Actually, yeah, which comes first, the lyrics or the vocals? Then we'll get to the sort of more substantive part. What do you mean, lyrics or vocals? So, like, in terms of, like, so are you, like, writing, like, all right, la, 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 Are you trying to sound them out, like, rhythmically in terms of the song? Like, is, is it sort of one package? How does uh, that work out? No, not really. So how it works generally is that like I'll write my lyrics independent to what the songwriters uh, when they're writing the music. So if Tim or um, Matt's got a, a song on the on the new album as well, he did the PLR. Um, so the boys are away just like crafting the songs. I'll write lyrics independently. They'll go, hey, I've got a new song. And I'll go, okay, well, look, look I've got three different songs lyrically that I've got written down here. Let's see which one of these will fit. Then... I'll apply that over the top. I'll just sort of like roll through it in my head and go, yeah, this sort of fits the structure. And then I might have to like, you know, edit it down and, you know, double up on some bits to create a chorus or, you know, drop verses altogether because they didn't really fit. Um, and then once I've got it sort of like crafted in my head in that capacity, then I sort of like play around with it vocally at the back end to sort of like make it fit the song, work out where I'm going to drop in the screams, how I'm going to, you know, which parts are going to be like screaming high, which parts are deep and guttural, how I'm going to enunciate certain words, all of that sort of stuff. And even when it came down to laying down the um, the album, there was there was songs there was there was a couple of songs that we hadn't even rehearsed as a full band. So I was laying down those tracks, what I thought would work in the studio. But then I had um, Matt, Dave, and the guy who I laid down the uh, vocals with, Mark, were all like basically coaching me in the uh, in the studio and, and helping me craft the songs there to what to what they are and then it'll be a matter of like just then taking that out for when we do it live to uh to recreate what i did in the studio Yeah. 
Pleasures, uh, the last track in the album, is re-recorded from your second album, Dead Speak. Why did you choose that particular yeah. track to re-record? Um, because it was the first track off the album, <laughs> basically. So when when we we played down in um, in Tassie last year, and we were walking down the street going to get something to eat prior to the show that night, and we'd already um, you know started the um, the the recording process for actually maybe it was the year before. And we, were, we were talking about it because the recording was coming up. Anyway, actually, yeah, I think it was it was prior to starting the recording. That's right. And we said, oh, while we're doing the recording, what do we think about actually re-recording Dead Speak and doing it as a full band? And um, then, yeah, as 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 it so happened, a lot like you know, we, we started recording the new album. And we just didn't, because we were self-funding it, we, we didn't go to a label, we, we, we self-released, um, we just didn't have the funds to do both. So um, the compromise was that we would pick a track and that track was Pleasures. We just thought, well, let's go with the uh, with the first track off the album and, and do that as a uh, as a full band. So basically just to sort of like, you know, so we could see how Dead Speak would have sounded as, as a full band and also to give the, the fans a taste of the same. So Kantara and parts of Plague from their first two records, they have um, sort of like a, a, quite a different feel to the rest of those albums. I'm wondering if you sort of gave any thoughts to including a sort of similarly different song on Never Enough Snuff. Um, yeah, look, I think <sighs> song-wise it was like what we put out on Snuff was, was basically what we what was available to us and what we had to choose from. I think there was one or two other tracks that Tim had sort of hatched in the background, but we hadn't gone um, for the, I don't know, I suppose for something slower and doomier like Plague was. Um, what Tim was supposed to record, he had a couple of other acoustic pieces written like he'd done uh, on the earlier albums as well. Um, but like, you know, with the beginning and, and in the middle of, um, of Plague. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, he just, he didn't, he didn't get around to it or yeah, I don't know. It just didn't happen in the end for whatever reason. So yeah, there wasn't, wasn't those little acoustic drop-ins. Um, and yeah, Plague was a little bit different, um, I suppose on, on, on Dead Speak. And you know what? Actually, now that I think back on it too, Plague was another song that we'd never jammed as a band and was the only song off Dead Speak that was done for the first time in the studio. So he'd he'd sent me like a click track of the um of the of the song and I'd written the lyrics which I'd applied to actually a really old song that we did and then I reworked those uh, lyrics for for Plague and um and yeah did it did it did it for the first time in the studio and then once again I think I probably had um uh you know Tim coaching me a bit to say yeah look try this try that and just a few different things to uh, to get the end result and then and then and then we played it. I think it was in like 20, 2017 or 2018, we decided to do it live, which we did at a, at a few shows for the very first time, get to look here live. And, um, and then, yeah, we you know put it back on the shelf again, and that was that. Why did you choose the title Never Enough Snuff? Um, I've read, uh, <clears throat> well, I want, I've, I've written a, sorry, read a book um, called Survivor. Um, uh, J. F. Gonzalez, I think, is the name of the author. I can't remember his name exactly. He did, did a book called um, uh, I think it's the same guy who did Big Man. 
Um, but anyway, Survivor is a um, it's 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 a graphic horror novel about snuff films, and a um, uh, girl that gets captured and caught up in that in that whole hoo ha. And I've read that um, recently to uh, to doing the uh, the first few rehearsals back when Tim said, "Right, I've got a new song." And started just like you know showing the other guys a uh, his new song, and they started putting down drums to it, and Matt and Rob are like going along. And at that point, I'm just basically a fifth wheel. <laughs> I sit over in the corner and go right. I can either sit there and like you know game on my phone or check Facebook updates, or I can write a song. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to write a song. So I basically smashed out Never Enough Snuff in 20 minutes, inspired by that book. I'd, I'd read that book. Uh, in, you know, in, in recent times, and because that was the first song and it was not based, that it was, um, yeah, that uh, became the uh, the concept for the album cover, and um, and yeah, the uh, the first track on the album. So I, I read in Heavy, um, I think it was Heavy, um, sort of the story behind the sort of true album cover, like the I, th- I think it's the photography um, session that you did. Yeah. I think it was Tim. I'm curious about the. Um, the sort of digital album cover. What's the story behind that? Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, Head Rush is the artist, which is actually Sally Ann Moore. Um, she did the artwork for the uh, self-titled album and also the Dead Speak. So I wanted to get her back in to do um, Never Enough Enough as well. So we had the um, uh, the actual uh, the the true cover of the album we did as a um, as a I've got a good friend who um, does uh, uh, film and television makeup and she did all the special effects for the shot. Um, Tim and his partner Michelle are featured on the cover. Um, so just so you know that no one was actually killed in the making of this album. Um, and um, and I've got another friend of mine who's a photographer who, who um, Martin Reddy who did all the um, did, did the shots for it and did all the after effects and everything else too to make it look nice and gritty. Then I took it to sell and um, and at that time because we thought we were going into retail, I was like, okay, see what you can come up with for a cover to go over the cover. So initially it was just like we were going to have um, – we, we had a few different ideas. It was going to be sort of like something that looked like black plastic with blood on it wrapped in barbed wire, sort of like, you know, like the Evil Dead remake on the book. Um, then we had, um, you know, just there – was, there was a few different things that we played around with. We just had some – you know, we'd been on, on to ice stock looking at things and, you know, had a bit of this and had a bit of that and – I think we did have a cover pretty much picked out and then she, the graphic design company she was working for, she went back and read like the T's and C's in iStock and it said, this, you know, may, none of these images may be used in anything that's like, you know, um, sensitive, shall we say. And she was like, well, fuck. <laughs> that really kicks everything off, the, you know, off there. I was like, <clears throat> so she's like, let me come up with something. So um, she basically had a uh, had a head because at one point we had that head side on, and I was going to go with um, I think it's the uh, the sixth track on the album is horizontal, and that was going to be the name of the album. And because that head's like you know laying down and horizontal and everything, it was like well, let's go with that. And we had another we had another image of um, there was a bunch of um, um, sort of like bodies in a crypt that were stacked on top of each other, and then we were going to go horizontal, and then that was going to be the cover. And um, anyway, as, as it ended up, I, I quite like that image of the corpse, um, you know, head side on. 
in, in, in somewhat of a state of, uh, of putrefaction. And then she just went through and photoshopped the producers out of it and, um, and, and came up with a digital cover, which, which I thought came up really, really nice. She spent a hours on it and, uh, yeah, it looks amazing. Finish off some last sort of questions about you. In terms of your... This is kind of the thing that really interesting interests me. Like, when, when you were... So, like, 1988, like, like, death metal was only sort of just becoming a thing. Like, in terms of your vocal styles, but, who did you sort of look to? What were you kind of trying to do back in those days? You know, how did that sort of... You, you sort of develop it in, in the early days? Yeah. Look, it's, it's an interesting one, yeah, because people say to me, like, where, where, you know, who do you try and emulate or where do you get your, your vocals from? There was things I was listening to back at the time. There were, I mean, for us, it was back in the, in the late 80s, so I suppose around 88 when our band was uh, quite young, I was listening, to, I'd, I'd started tape trading around that time, so we had, like, first demos of, um, you know, Nihilus before they were entombed and, very early, you know, Morbid Angel and things like that. But it was predominantly what was happening in Sweden that really captured my attention. So it was bands like Grave and Dismember and Unleashed and so on and so forth. There was something about the Swedish sound that was really heavy but had a bit of a rock feel to it as well. Um, And I think it was that is what, what I was predominantly listening to and... You know, not necessarily copy. I think it was just a tone that I was trying to reach, and then it ultimately where we ended up at was just me getting my voice as heavy as I could get it. Um, but then also going through a phase of not trying to <clears throat> um, just make it heavy for heavy sake because I didn't want to sacrifice what I was saying. So I would try and get as heavy as I could, but make sure that you could understand what I was saying still. And that's that is a uh, a fine line. And I always like, you know, compare it to people with um, with thick accents. So if you're speaking to someone, say, with, like, you know, a strong um, English or Scottish or, you know, something accent, it's like a person, like, man, what the fuck is that person saying? But once you start picking up on it and listening to them more and more, you're like, oh, okay, I get what this person's saying now. Same goes with death metal. So if you, if you, uh, you know, have an ear for it and understand it, then you'll, you'll pretty much catch most things I'm saying. So you, you know, you released the second album in 2000. Um, I think it's 2017 when you do your show, um, sort of first show back. Um, yeah. what, what was it sort of coming back to it and sort of re-doing, sort of doing, you know, vocals? That was hard. <laughs> it was really hard. The first rehearsal, I think I got about five songs out and I, I had to call it, I had to tap out. Well, like my throat was fucked. It's it's not it's not something that you can really um, you, you can train for. I mean, I've mentioned this to a couple of people. It's like you know they say that you know physiologically our, our cells regenerate every seven years and they're brand new. So you look at something like tissue in your throat. That means I'm like you know twice regenerating from the last time that I'd sung death metal. So although the uh, the memories there of how to do it and like how to you know get it out. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was fucking brutal. <laughs> I absolutely shredded my throat. I think after the first, um, the first rehearsal, I, like I almost lost my voice, not like permanently, but like you know, it was, I was, I was, I was pretty raspy and 
uh, pretty high pitch for a couple of days afterwards. But then, like a lot of other things too, like I, I, I quite often compare it to gym training. If you if you haven't if you haven't done squats before and you go and you know chuck a, you know your body weight on top of you on a bar and then go and you know pump out squats like your you know your, your hamstrings and your glutes and everything are shredded for days and you you walk around you know like fucking been horse riding for 24 hours but it's like eventually if you as you keep going back to the gym and keep going then those muscles become accustomed to it and it's not so bad <clears throat> same thing with death metal so it, it hurts a lot the first couple of times but then the more you do it like the, the throat becomes accustomed to it eases back and then it, it's all right so yeah i i do, I, I do um you know holding high regard bands who actually like doing that you know international tours and go back to back night after night doing it i think is a, is a whole other level again um I'm, I'm glad that i just have to do it when we do it it's just more sporadic you know i'll rehearse sort of week to week and when we do shows they're sort of usually one-offs or if anything you know a couple of nights in a row but you know i wouldn't fancy like going out on the road for a month and, and playing every night I, I don't think i'd have a voice this is a little bit of a hard one but um any sort of favourite horror films or books that you can sort of point to? <laughs> yes, that is a hard one. Mm. I get asked that a lot. It's just like fucking hell. <clears throat> uh, horror films, look, there's there's, uh, there's way too many. Um, you know, I've, I've been watching horror since I was a kid. I'm 50 this year. Um, so you're talking like, you know, uh, 40 to 45 years worth of horror films. <laughs> I've seen a lot. Um, difficult um, books. Look, authors. Um, I've got a. Um, uh, I've got a few a few faves. Um, I'd have to say that uh, Ed- Edward Lee's right up there as one of my faves in um, in horror in recent times. His books are absolutely appalling, as in a really good way. <laughs> so he's. Uh, is well worth uh, well worth looking out for. Um, uh, who else? Brian Keane's another one. Um, love his stuff. Um, who else? Uh, Matt Shaw. I've read a bit of. Is pretty good. But look, you know, <clears throat> if you really want to start and like read some really over the top um, gratuitous horror, then yeah, you, you can't go past um, Edward Lee. He's a really really good one to start with. Um, yeah, he's uh, pretty pretty over the top, and that's a uh, sort of been a bit of an evolution in, um, in in horror, I suppose, of the way it has been in metal too, and getting like you know really really over the top. And um, with those aforementioned um, authors that I was talking about, it's more around the other uh, splatterpunk genre, which sort of blurs that line in between just the usual sort of like you know great gratuitous graphic horror, but mixes in like. Um, you know, sex and uh, other pretty over-the-top adult themes to, to sort of, like, go, go places where, like, authors, you know, never really went in the past and they, they go in there, like, good art, no loop. So, yeah, pretty interesting. And last question. What have you been listening yeah. to, reading, watching or playing lately? Uh, reading more horror. <laughs> what, am I, what am I reading at the moment? Um, I'm reading a book. Uh, I'm just like flicking into my Kindle at the moment. Um, uh, reading a book by a chick, actually. Uh, Monica O'Rourke called Suffer the Flesh, um, which is, yeah, pretty uh, pretty over the top. About a girl who gets, I don't know, trapped by... Actually, I won't go into the juicy details of it, but yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty brutal. As, as I said, look, I, I really do. I'm, 
I'm a PT, so if I'm not, this is going to sound odd, but like when I'm not studying and reading about like, you know, new exercise techniques or like running about, uh, reading about running or reading about like, you know, physical activity and how to like train the body and stay really fit, I read graphic horror. <laughs> and, then, and then movie-wise, what do I watch? Well, look, if it's up to if it's just me, I'm watching horror. But otherwise, I watch movies with my kids. So we watch a lot of family films, and I watch a lot of you know TV shows, and just I don't know. I suppose usual stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a dad, and, and I, you know I'm not going to subject my children to horrible things. I have in the past, but you know, it can quite often end in tears. So I. I I'm going to try and uh, have a... Uh, actually, usually my wife is the filter in that situation because I don't have one. And um, gaming, yeah, not not too much these days. Although, ironically, my son's um, suddenly... He's 10 years old and he's um, just recently developed a bit of a taste for uh, for horror gaming. So um, I've, I've, you know, I tend to sort of like just watch him play more than anything else too. But it's um, yeah, he's, he's getting right into it and, and really enjoying... Um, you know the uh, the horror games, which is uh, just be cool. Come a long way, so it's pretty entertaining to watch them.
That was Knife Play by Abramelon from the album Never Enough Snuff. And before that, we heard the title track, Never Enough Snuff. Thanks again, Simon, for chatting to me. It's a real pleasure, and I really appreciate him both sharing his insights on the new record as well as that other thing that will be soon to come. Before I leave you, I want to recommend two albums. First up, a split between Exhumed and Gruesome, Twisted Horror. Now, this is a really cool record because it displays kind of different styles of death metal. Um, Exhumed and Gruesome, both uh, related bands, because Matt Harvey is in both of them. And what makes it really good listen is both, you know, you have a more extreme, aggressive style of death metal, as well as a more old school style of death metal and gruesome. But you also have what I find really interesting, the vocal performance of Matt Harvey. And I've for a long time been a fan of Matt Harvey. I've always loved the rhythm of the two-part vocals in Exhumed. There's something about it which I just think is sort of the pinnacle of sort of structure of vocals. But also it's really interesting to see him do his sort of, you know, vocal style he's honed over 30 years in Exhumed, but also his style reminiscent of Chuck Sheldina in Gruesome. Um, Gruesome, for those who don't know, is a band which is very explicitly a tribute to a certain era of death, Chuck Sheldina's band. And it's sort of, um, I think it's third, the second to fourth record, if I'm not mistaken, sort of before they went more progressive. And that makes for a really interesting listen as well. Also want to recommend an album by Piron called Abscess Time. Now this is on, it's difficult to pin down, but I'll sort of describe it as on the sort of more abrasive end of technical death metal, if any of you sort of understand what those means, or it's not necessarily just playing sort of technical technical scales and stuff like that, but it's sort of very intentionally using, I don't know if I'd necessarily describe it as dissonance or atonality, but something that's a little bit less friendly on the ears. But this one is a little bit more so, and it's more experimental. It goes in a lot of different directions. I think a Bandcamp reviewer described it quite well as a trustful exercise. So if you're you know a little bit more open to some of the sort of more, I don't know, less friendly types of music, I, I definitely recommend that to you. You can catch me on social media at OzHunger, that's A-U-S Hunger, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can also send me an email, australianhunger at gmail.com. Any comments, questions, or if you want to set up an interview, maybe we can get that happening. Uh, But until next time, thanks for listening. Bye.